Okay, we left off at the beginning of 2 Samuel 11. Just kind of rolling through here. Uh, this awful, awful story of David and Bathsheba. He was doing so good, wasn't he? Just doing so good. I mean, just the, the model. But note that this happens immediately after God tells Nathan to tell him, that you don't have to inquire anymore. This is the next thing that happens. Now that's interesting. So, I think there's two angles here. One is that God trusted David enough to make it clear that this isn't, you're inquiring of me, our relationship is so good you really don't have to inquire. I trust you, David, that you know my heart well enough that you will do what I want you to do. Now, that sounds good on paper. And the expectation is now with the freedom, no longer the compulsion, but the freedom to, uh, to, to interact with God the right way, that should actually be beneficial. But I guess given permission not to do it, some people might decide not to do it. It, it makes me think of uh, the relationship with my wife. Um, we got our big wedding anniversary coming up here in a couple weeks. And after this many years of being married, she really ought to give me permission to not have to tell her anymore that I love her. I've done it so often. She should know that by now, right? Right. Well, you're ahead of me. But that's my next question. Ladies, would that go over well with you, right? It's just there's, yeah. But even if she gave me permission, I think I would want to do it more. Because you know, now the freedom, it's you know, rather than the expectation, now the freedom you don't have to, but golly, I realize how much I want to. And but the same thing works works with our children. I mean, we we get to a point of either keeping them completely stifled, and you know, the 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 term is you know, helicopter mom, you're always always hovering around, never never giving the kid any freedom, never, you know, just always monitoring everything the child does. Uh, and, but the child then never learns the joy of freedom and making the right choice with somebody with a ball bat standing over them, you know, smacking them if they make the wrong choice. But we're, we're, you try to move kids to that, that freedom after you've established with them, these are the good choices to make. Now I give you the freedom to make those, those good choices. I will you know, certainly be disappointed and upset with you if you make the wrong choice, but we'll work through it. Uh, and that's that's kind of what what God is doing with David. You know, our relationship is so good that, you know, I trust you. Unfortunately, in that freedom, David kind of went a little tangential, and this is the result. So recall that in in the eleven, twelve, and thirteen, the word "send" or "sent" is going to come up twenty three times. So David keeps sending somebody, sending notes, sending messengers, and sending for Bathsheba, sending for Uriah, sending for, yeah, just all the sending, 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 sending. Well, pay attention then, yeah, by the time we get to chapter 13, David's done sending. God starts sending. God sends Nathan, and God, God keeps sending Nathan multiple times to continue to, to work with David, David through this. So, 
he sends for Bathsheba. Remember, she's very beautiful. And, but now you, you need to go back to where we started with this. When, when the, the people, not God, but the people told God, you will allow us to have a king. God said, well, if you're going to be that way about it, okay, go ahead. And they picked the tallest, best looking guy. That's going to come up again in a couple minutes. Um, that was their only criteria. But God said, you picking a king is going to result in this king taking from you. He will take your sons, he will take your daughters, he will take your wives, he will take your crops. And after he has taken from you everything, he will then enslave you. He is taking, taking, taking. Look what David does. He takes another man's wife. The Israelites wanted to be like other nations. Now they are. <laughs> because that's what kings do. That's exactly what they do. They will take. Now, 11.4 might seem a little strange. But it's, it's a necessary component of the story. It's telling us that Bathsheba had just gone through her monthly cycle and thus showing us, demonstrating to us, that she could not have been pregnant before her visit with David. So in other words, this is absolutely David's child. So the Bible makes, makes, makes that abundantly clear to us. So in the midst of all this sending, Bathsheba sends a message to David. In Hebrew, two words on a piece of paper. In English, translates to three. I am pregnant. <laughs> ah! <laughs> uh, you know, what do you do with that? Right? So, now, now the fun starts. David has to do a lot more sending. It just goes on and on. So David's going to send a series of orders to first summon Uriah back from the battlefield in the hopes that he will sleep with his wife, and thus Uriah will assume the child is his. Off the hook. Done deal. Thanks. But it doesn't work. Uriah is a man of honor and saying that my compatriots in battle are struggling on the battlefield. They're dying. They're living in the mud and eating terrible food. I cannot come home to the lap of luxury and, and do that while they are in that situation. So he refuses to even go, go into his own home to, to see his own wife. So David sends orders to put Uriah on the front line so that deliberately he will be killed in battle. If you look at verse 6, the word send appears three times in that one verse. There's just an awful lot of sending, a lot of orders being shared. In, in verse 7, David pretends to be concerned about the war and inquires how Uriah, of Uriah how things are going. But Uriah, this man of moral character, will not sleep with his wife. And on the second night, David gets him real drunk, hoping that he'll just stagger his way home and fall into bed with his wife. He won't even do that. He's still in his, in his right mind. Now, the fun part of this story is, Uriah is identified as a Hittite. A foreigner. A non-Jew by birth. But somebody who has transferred his membership <laughs> into the Jewish nation. So, obviously, Uriah has really embraced the Jewish faith. 
So here we have a foreigner acting more faithfully than the king. Even drunk, Uriah is more righteous than the sober David. So the plan obviously fails. David sends this message to put Uriah on the front line. Look at verse 14. This, this is almost comical. The notice to put Uriah on the front line so that he will be killed. That note is handed to Uriah, <laughs> who delivers it to his commanding officer. <laughs> he actually delivers his own death sentence. Wow. It's, uh, that, that is really, really unbelievable. Now, Uriah is, is a faithful soldier. He's not an adversary of David. I mean, Saul was an adversary. Yeah, his son was an adversary. Uh, he's had a whole bunch of adversaries that he has not killed. This guy is a good guy, and he winds up killing him. So things really reverse in a hurry. So up to this point, it would seem as though everything in David's life has gone the way he wanted. He lived literally a charmed life. That's all there is to it. But now starting, verse 27, with the child being born, begins a series of events in David's life that are a stark contrast to the way it has been. So these next few chapters, we're going to cover, oh, about 10 years in just a few chapters. And it is going to be disaster after disaster after disaster. There is nothing good that will happen. The family falls apart. Uh, obviously, this child dies. Uh, it is just bad after bad after bad. Now, we're going to enter into a rather lengthy conversation, which means I will expect you to speak, um, about the, what happens to this child. Because you know, it, it's, it's easy for us to, to see the word punishment and think that God is causing this punishment. David, you sin, therefore your child must die. So, over the course of the next minutes, we need to understand that yeah, this isn't the way God works. If he does, we're all in big trouble. But what we discover is sin brings about a negative consequence. It always does. It sets into motion a series of events that God could stop, but chooses not to. Because we have free will. As soon as God stops, yeah, as soon as God starts breaking in and stopping us from doing something bad or correcting something we've done bad and making it good, we're nothing more than puppets on a string. We have no more free will. So God's design is that, yes, He allows us to sin and He allows the consequence of that sin to carry through whatever we've created. Now, frankly, that's love. And hopefully serves as a good lesson that we won't do that again, right? That's how we learn. But it is the consequence is not, well, David, you sinned, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this kid. That's not the God I want to follow. I'll 
I'll go hug a tree before I follow a God like that. So that, that can't be the case. That's going to become more, more clear here when, when Nathan shows up in the next chapter. But right now, let's just say that it shouldn't surprise us that when we choose sin, which by definition is rejecting God, the result is the blessing is taken away. So it's not so much the, the curse or the punishment. The curse is God withdrawing. Since you, you reject me, I'm not going to force my way in. Therefore, you're on your own until you get smart and repent and come back to me. Is that what God keeps saying? Return to me. Repent. It's going to be amazing how long it's going to take David to really come around again. Better part of 10 years. It's crazy stuff. That's pretty much how we end chapter 11. Uh, the last verse, though, is incredibly critical. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, it was already a couple of chapters ago, it was revealed that you know, God was displeased because David just has too many checks around, right? He's, he's got too many wives and too many porcupines, right? So, he, yeah, God's saying this, this, yeah, so that's telling us, yeah, you're, you're leaning the wrong way, you're hanging on the edge, and unless you correct this, you're falling off, off the ledge. Well, sure enough, chapter 11 is the falling off of the ledge. God is displeased. But, God is willing to wait for the repentance. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So any thoughts ongoing for chapter 11? Come on! <laughs> Can you think of the death of the child as a blessing to the child? He doesn't have to face the facts of how he was born. Hmm. He doesn't have to face these 10 years of David going backwards. Who knows where he would have been at the end of that time. Sometimes I look at death as the easy way out for somebody. As an avoidance of all these terrible things that would have ensued, yes. Right, a blessing. Yep. It's a blessing for the child. Yep. Not for those left behind, and, but for the child. And that's why... Out of the, the Sistine Chapel scene, the thing I like the most, and I think reveals the heart of God the most. You ever count up how many fat little babies there are with, with wings floating around? It's mm -hmm. a whole slew of them. <laughs> right? That, yeah, let's just, let's just bypass all this awful life and get the blessing of, uh, of heaven. Not the worst thing that could happen, <laughs> right? I kind of have been able to look at the death of my son as yeah. that. Uh -huh. yeah. I mean, he was an adult, yeah. but I could see the path that he would have been on. Yeah. And this is a much easier, better way out. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it a whole lot easier to take that death when I look at it that way. Yep. I agree. I don't know, right or wrong, but that's how nope. I can handle it. Nope. That's, I, I think, big picture thinking. You know, from God's perspective, see, we want to make it, you know, so black and white. It's either, it's either a curse or a blessing type, you know, it, it's just, so if we, you know, that happens and all, God, God hates us and God's cursing us and all that, but, you know, de death is not the worst thing that could happen to us. You know, it's, 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 it's not. Um, we got the abstinence retreat this, this weekend, and one of the things we drill into the kids is pregnancy is not the worst thing that can happen to you as a result of sex. 
Yeah, you know, there's, the there's 30, 35 some odd uh, uh, STDs, and many of them will leave you sterile. Um, in fact, you won't have any kids. <laughs> um, that sounds worse than having having a, a, a child out of wedlock. So yeah, it's it's yeah, but kids, that's the way they think. It's just just don't get pregnant. Whatever you do, don't get pregnant. Well, there's a lot worse things that could happen. So uh, we help to reveal that to them. It's a fun, exciting weekend. Pray for us. Oh, my God. <laughs> They've got 20, 25 or 30, 30 young, young kids. And uh, uh, it's going it, to, it, this is nuts. I mean, really, this, you know, I'm involved in a lot of things around the church here. But, you know, and all the things that we wind up doing, you know, and that's why I said the other week, you know, in the sermon, this, you know, this absence retreat truly is one of the best things we do. It, it's just awesome. So we we just lock lock the door and just beat these kids bloody. It's uh, it is just it is so funny. So uh, uh, Jill, Jill Buderbaugh, you know, with her you know her medical degree and everything. So we have her come, and she just I mean she shows pictures and I mean it's wow. just it just just grosses about. I can't stand to look at it. You know? Jill Buderbaugh does what? Yeah, with, she brings all the medical side of it. So she, you know, the, just, you know, all the... Hey, I agree with the pictures. That's probably one of the best things. No, it is. Seriously. Know. I mean, it's, you know, it's why, why talk about it when I can show you? Oh, and, yeah. yeah, that 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 visual is, is in there. So, yeah. health teacher. Yes, yeah, precisely. That's what I mean. It's, you know, from oh, the, yeah. you know, so we... we like, don't show us anymore. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, like, oh. we, 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 we cover the, the theological... Grounding the medical grounding, yeah, we just the the the, the social grounding. We, we we cover all the bases, and that's oh my gosh, that's uh, uh, ten. That's about thirteen, fourteen hours we're, we're with the kids. So it's not 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 an hour long program. I mean, it's we got you. <laughs> they just kids walk out kind of kind of stunned, but you know they never never thought of it that way before because they just. See, see what they see on, on TV, on YouTube, and you know, what their friends say, and uh, they find out what, what the truth is and what God's plan really is for their lives and especially for, for their bodies. So it's neat, neat stuff. Anything else in chapter 11? Chapter 12. Nathan pops in. This is the second time he just literally pops. Now, virtually everybody else we've been introduced to, there's a degree of fanfare. There's an introduction. This is the son of X, Y, and Z, and you know, who grew up here and did this and you know, does you know, all this elaborate stuff. Nathan just shows up. We have no idea who he is. So again, as I've said before, I'll say again, when what you expect is not in the Bible, really teaches you as much as what it, what is in the Bible. So when you stop and look at why, why does the Bible ignore the fact of telling us, because inquiring minds want to know, you know who this guy is and what, what he's all about. Well, we can only conclude that, that Nathan is, is so, so incredibly powerful and important that Nathan's authority speaking for God is so overwhelming that we don't need to know anything else about his identity. His identity is the spokesperson for God. Period. It's not who he's married to. It's not who his kids were. It's not who his father was. Nothing. His identity is 100% God's spokesperson. Prophet? Yes. That's, yeah. But, I mean, an incredible prophet. Um, interestingly, he doesn't have a book of the Bible named after him. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that strange? 
you know, the, the ongoing adventures of Nathan. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's not there. All these other guys get it, but like I say, it just, he's, his, his total, total I, I identity. Now, here's something important. True character is revealed in crisis. But times are good, it's easy to put a facade on and just, this is who I am. When the crisis hits, and that could be any number of crises, that the way you respond to that crisis reveals our true character. And especially, as we're talking here, where our faith really is. Because if we've been saying that I'm a faithful person for years, and then also when the crisis comes and people look at you and, and there's no, no faith left, that is troubling, concerning. So the way David responds to this crisis of being outed with the whole Bathsheba, Uriah nonsense reveals a great deal. Now, any of you ever watched Seinfeld? Remember? Funny stuff, a couple of you did. So, really, really funny uh, story. Uh, George, old crazy George, uh, you know, has a girlfriend. And so the girlfriend... Uh, they get invited to a uh, one of her niece's uh, birthday party. So you've got a bunch of eight-year-old girls in frilly outfits running around and all kinds of things. They're just, the room is packed and it's very, very busy. And in the middle of the party, somebody yells, fire. And George is on the other end of the room, picks little kids up and throws them across the room, throw, pushes grandma out of the way, just trying to save himself. And by the time he gets to the door and there's like 10 people laying on the ground that George has mowed over to get, to get to the door to save himself, someone says, oh no, false alarm. His hand's on the door and everybody's looking at him. <laughs> right? His true character is revealed in the midst of the crisis. I'm just all about myself. right? I don't care about any of you people. That's usually not a good thing to share with people. So we need to watch David now and see how, how he responds to this. Because when God yells fire... What's he going to do? David's true character is revealed because in the midst of this most awful time in his life, he is willing to accept the fact that he has sinned. And he's willing to accept the consequences that comes with it. Bottom line is, David says, I have sinned against God. That's the ultimate. Look at verse 1. So in the past couple chapters, David has been doing all this sending. Now, chapter 12, God will be the one to send. The prophet is sent. You see, David sent to commit adultery. David sent to commit murder. And then sent a bunch of times to try to cover up the mess. But none of it worked. Now God will do some sending of his own. Now, we have, we have a difficulty. Again, Israel wanted to be like other nations. You look at, at what kings do in other nations, and we need to ask ourselves, how do you correct a king who has absolute power? Would you want to be the one to go and point out the fault of a king? John the Baptist did that. Look what happened to him. Just saying, right? That's what kings do. That's where the expression 
don't kill the messenger comes <laughs> because they always kill the messenger. So now Dave, uh, David is confronted with God's messenger and that's a human being standing in front of you. David could very easily choose, I don't want word of this to get out. I will, I will shut this whole thing down. I will try to keep it a secret and therefore, Nathan, I have to kill you. But that's not what he does. This plan that God came up with to share with Nathan, to share with, with David, is a genius plan. You get David to condemn himself. Rather than pointing the finger and say, what you did was really bad, people usually don't do well with that. <laughs> right? So turn the tables, tell a little story, get David to condemn that person, and then it would be a real easy transition to say, well, this story is about you. You are the one who did precisely that. Look at verse 5. As surely as the Lord lives, a man who did this deserves to die. Ha, ha, ha. Now, it's a story about a sheep without a shepherd. Look what happens to a sheep without a shepherd. You see the irony? David grew up as a shepherd. And was the one called by God to shepherd God's people. Verse 7, you are the man. Do you remember Jesus saying, the measure by which you judge others is the measure God will judge you? David had just said, that man deserves to die. And I think the thing that really got David's attention is the fact that when he realized it, you are the man. This is what I deserve. This, this is, would be a just punishment for me to die. Now, here's something we really need to understand because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Since God was this way thousands of years ago, Jesus affirms it a few thousand years later. David committed a sin worthy of great punishment, certainly death. I mean, he's not one, but a double, yeah, but two of the worst sins you can commit. But David is not excused, but forgiven. God is willing to forgive even the worst of sins. What would you like to say about that? Amen. <laughs> what, what, why is that amen worthy, O Jim? <laughs> because he got what he didn't deserve. Okay. He was mercifully judged. Okay. And if God was that way back then, what does that mean for us today? Still that Same thing. Way. There's the amen. Right? <laughs> because, you see, I mean, again, from, from God's perspective, you, you have to see this through, through God's eyes. And if, if God is going to be that hard nut, and you did that, boom, I said it, this is the law, this is what shall happen to thee, we're all in big trouble. Now, have you ever used the phrase there, but 
the grace of God go I? Um, yeah. So, let's, yeah, I, I want to hear this in, in, in your words. Now, that happened to David. His sin was forgiven. His sin that was, that was awful, was terrible, uh, that any court in the, in the land would off of his head. Right? That, that would be our judgment, but it is not God's. What does that say about God now with us today? With our personal sin? Not Eleanor's sin. Not going to point the finger at her. What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with you? Make, make, it, make it personal. Um, I'm thinking God expects you to... God, God forgives you, but He expects you to learn from your mistakes and not just ignore it and go on and... Do it again. Get a free pass and... and right. right. Yeah. Alright, so there, there's an element of limit or boundary with God. I'll let you off the hook for this once. Don't... Don't try that again. So um, maybe the second or third time, there would not be that we benevolence. Know, we don't know what God's limit is. Right. In that regard. So would you like to test the theory and find out? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So yes, the wise person will say, okay, I sinned. I need to learn from that so as not to do that ever again. Because, you know, the uh, God's, I mean, we saw it with Saul. Saul did one too many. He pushed, he pushed, he pushed, and finally God said, okay, that's it, I'm out. So, whatever that number is, and it might even be different with each one of us, I don't know. There's nothing in there. But the wise person would not test the theory. Go out and sin and sin and sin, trying to find where, where, where the line is. What else would you like to say about, about, about our sin? Um, we not only confess, but he wants us to repent so that we turn and go the other way. But maybe we won't do it again. Good point. Saul did the first. Yeah, I'm a great sinner, but he didn't actually repent. I'm a great sinner, now I think I'll just keep on doing this. <laughs> All right? you know, so yeah, it's the direction you are facing and the direction you are going. Repenting means a 180. Because while you're sinning, your back is to God and you're walking toward the devil. You turn 180, now I'm walking to, toward God. Saul only did the, the, the first part without, without the second part. Therefore, it was deemed insincere, disingenuous. Therefore, God did, did, did not respond. But with David, we see genuine repentance. What else does it say about personal sin? I think you said a minute ago that um, he had committed two major sins. And I think we shouldn't let ourselves get caught up in that thought. There is no major and minor. Right. Sin is sin. Sin is sin, and we're all guilty. We don't have to commit adultery or murder to be a sinner. Right. Uh, uh, we need to bear that in mind. We're yes, very good point. Yeah, we need to know that here, but we also need to know that out there they don't know that. Right. And so in their mind, they are thinking, I don't need Jesus because I'm not that bad of a person. I have not done these David-level sins. <laughs> um, I'm a relatively good person. You know, 
So you know, they, they don't see sin the way they need to see sin. That's why I've said before, and I'll say again, the conversation must come back to sin because there must be the recognition that I need forgiven of my sin to be in right relationship with God. You, you can't do it just by being a relatively good person. I think that's really a, a very strong misunderstanding in and out of the church. Sure. I really do. There's plenty of people here that don't get it either. Yeah. Right. right. I've kind of beat myself up for coming down on the kids Sunday. It's bugged me all week that I kept pointing out to them, you are sinners, you sin. And I've hated my that I did that so strong because they're kids, but they still need to learn it. Sure. You know? It wasn't wrong, but it's bothered me that I might have been a little forceful. Hope not. Well, it was true. So, sometimes you got to do that to get the point in there. Like I say, I, we, we, we got no trouble doing it with the abstinence retreat, so there, 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 there are occasions when, when you get the ball bat out and <laughs> you start whopping up alongside the head. So. See, what I, getting back to what Judy said, sin, sin, it doesn't matter big or little, but, you know, God, God expects you to forgive 70 times 7, but then there's the point where it's enough is enough. You no, know exactly, I, right. I mean, so, you know, I would... I, when you guys are all talking about sin, I keep thinking of the person that tried to stop the ark from falling over and, and God struck him down dead. I know God made an example that he didn't need anybody's help, but nevertheless, <laughs> the person was just trying to do the right, I would have been struck down too, you know what I mean? Yep. That's pretty harsh. But yeah, and you're going to forgive somebody for doing over and over and over again. So that's where I have trouble at because I don't want to be so hard because, you know, I'm talking, like, with my granddaughter. My granddaughter has issues, which you guys are all well aware of, and we keep trying. But when do you say enough is enough? You know what I mean? So, the, but in terms of forgiveness, there is not enough forgiveness. You'll never, because forgiveness is love, therefore, you still forgive. Forgiveness does not mean, however, an acceptance of that ongoing behavior. And that's... I think something else that we greatly misconstrue yeah. in the church and outside is if I forgive you, that means I'm supporting or accepting that behavior. No. Forgiveness actually benefits you more than the forgivee. Right? It takes that burden off of, of, of anxiety and hatred and, and all those yucky things off of your back and frees you up then to hopefully see as God sees, much like Jesus hanging on the cross looking out and all these people did all this terrible stuff to me. I mean, this hurts, ouch. But the first thing he says is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do, right? So there's that understanding that, you know, I still need to forgive. What you did, yeah, that's, that's bad, but God's going to use this and it's going to be awesome. So forgiveness does not mean condoning the behavior. Well, I always say loyal to the person, not to the act. That's what right. I tell everybody. Right. So, yeah, there, there is a separation at that point. And that's what we see God doing here is, yeah, he's displeased. But nonetheless, I'll be willing to forgive. So, and forgiveness does not even depend upon the other person's willingness to accept it. That's the beautiful part. So, you just forgive. Whether you let the other person know you've forgiven them or not, we actually uh, talked about this last night. Um, you know, don't lead with, I forgive you. Because <laughs> I forgive you means you sinned. 
Nathan was smart enough to realize, I better not do that, I'll, I'll lose my head, right? We got to, you got to come around it, you know, a different way, you know, circumvent that somehow. You come back to it, but you don't lead with that. Don't lead with, I forgive you. Lead with, you know, I feel really bad about our broken relationship over these years, and, um, you know, I, 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 want, I want us to restore our, our relationship, um, so let's... Let's work on that, and I've, I've simply chosen to uh, maybe don't say forgive you, but forgive the, forgive the past and, you know, forget the past and, and, and move on from there. Now, I've, I've had a number of occasions to do precisely that. It's, it's awesome. It's fabulous. And it, it always works because people really do want to be forgiven, <laughs> right? But if you come charging in there, making yourself look high and mighty, and the other person, you're some great sinner that you need me, the Holy One, to forgive you, um, that usually doesn't come out real well. So yeah, a lot of it is in the attitude, but the, the, the base attitude is, I must forgive. Recall, you know, after Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the only thing he further comments on is the topic of forgiveness and says, unless you forgive others their sin, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sin. So it goes back to the judgment you give to others is a judgment you will be, God, God will issue to you. So if you withhold forgiveness, God will withhold forgiveness from you. So it really does fall on us, even when you don't want to. <laughs> right? Even when it doesn't seem just, fair, reasonable. But forgiveness does not mean condoning the act or the action. It means that I don't want this relationship to fall apart. Now, you get to read it. Yeah, all relationships are negotiated. Marriage, parent-child, uh, you know, grandparent, grandchild, boss, employee, all relationships are negotiated. You want to raise? Go ask the boss for a raise. You're going to say yes or no. Might negotiate something. So you're always at the bargaining table with everybody. And the goal is I want to get you as much as you need and hope that you will give me as much as I need. So it won't be entirely my way, it won't be entirely your way, but hopefully we'll both take a few steps and be willing to meet in the middle. That's relationship. And we saw that with David and Jonathan, we see that with David and God, we see it with Abraham and God, you know, all these covenants that are made are, you know, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. It's an agreement, right? Bargain. Are you willing to do that for me? Yes. Okay. Sign the papers, get the lawyers, we're all set. So when someone sins against us, the choice is, you're a great sinner, I will avoid you for the rest of my life. A lot of people do that. You hurt me. I can no longer tolerate that. Well, think long term. How does that work out? Yeah, I've, I, I, I've, I've had funerals where two brothers had some disagreement 20 years ago. And one brother dies and the other brother refuses to even come to the funeral. What? That's how much I hate you. Really? I mean, what does that result in? I mean, that just hurts the whole family. I mean, it just, it, the, 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 the ripple effect. So sin is sin, comma. But there are some sins that are so multifaceted that they make a different list. Uh, 
I think the Roman Catholics are onto something. They, they, they identified seven mortal sins. Basically, say seven sins that pretty much guarantee you're going to hell. Um, because they're, they're, that one sin, by definition, will lead to a hundred others. You know, many, many sins start with breaking the first commandment, right? And break a whole bunch of others. So, yeah, murder makes the list. Because that, that's a whole compounded sin. That's a, that's a, that's a mess. Um, it just, there's not many, but there, there's a few sins like that. So, it's still sin, but it's in a special category and, and why you need to especially be mindful to not do that because... See, you know, adultery, see how it tentacles out? How far it reaches? It's affecting everything. We're going to see the ripple effect of this for generations to come in David's family. I mean, God's going to say here, the sword will never leave your, your house. In other words, there's always going to be strife and consternation amongst your family members, within your own home. I mean, you go to home to find peace, don't you? Watch what happens here. These guys are a mess. And it happens immediately after this. It's not that God made it happen. It's just that this is the natural progression. Yeah, that one sin just radiates. So it's not a... Okay, here's the answer. Never thought of this before. The great theologian is now about to come out. Pay real close attention. Sin, any, any sin. There is no sin that is isolated. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, sin does not occur in a vacuum. Sin will always have an impact on somebody else. So even if my one sin only affects Linda, that affects Linda. But Linda talks to Amy, and that's going to somehow generate to Amy and go over to Eleanor, and just it just it does that. It just it it transfers. So it you know David thought that I could cover this up, I could keep it all closed up, and I could keep it isolated. Now, God throws a stick of dynamite in there and blows that baby up real quick, right? So, but that's what happened because you cannot keep that, that, that covered up. So, sin needs to be forgiven. The sinner needs to be forgiven. So, sin is personal. The sinner defines relationship. So God wants to continue the relationship and we should want to continue the relationship as well. Even if it is under certain boundaries, certain restrictions, whatever. So the, the, you've got three choices. We think there's only two. The two we like are, you sinned, I hate you, I will never speak to you again. The other one is, well, that's just the way he is. And excuse it. Neither one of those are good. Neither one of those are the way God treats us. So look at what God does. He is displeased. Just that honest conversation of what you're doing, I don't like. Our relationship cannot be the way it needs to be as long as you continue to choose this behavior. However, I still love you and I forgive you for the times in the past when you have done this. But I want our relationship to be all that it can be. But it cannot be as you continue this, this behavior. I'm asking you to, to stop doing that. I need you to stop doing that.
because I love you and I want what's best for you and this behavior is not the best thing for you. It is separating you from me. It's separating you from God. It's separating you from everything that is good and wonderful in this world. And ultimately, I'm concerned about your eternity and I know that this behavior will prevent you from getting the eternity you want. How's that for a speech? Write that down. It's on tape. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, that was totally unencumbered by the thought process. Thank you, thank, thank you Jesus. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. And that's, that's how we need to interact with each other. And, and I guess I'm speaking personally, and that is what I have learned to do in all my relationships and even with y'all. So we've had occasions where church members have sinned, have done something really bad. That's the conversation we have. And, and see, a lot of people think once they ask for the forgiveness, God gives you the forgiveness, but then the sin still plays out. Even that, because you made that choice, he'll forgive you, but the choice that you made, the actions are going to still come. And that's why people think, well, God doesn't, you know. Am I correct in thinking it? However. Ah, <laughs> another it, sermon. It will if nothing changes. And that's exactly what we're going to see with David. That after this incident, David just sits on the throne like a bump on the log and does nothing. There's no, you know, all the initiative we saw is gone for 10 years. He does nothing. His family falls apart. One son's going to kill, try and kill him. Uh, it's just a disaster because he's not doing anything. You, I mean, that would be the natural order of things. You start, start that pendulum swinging, and it will keep on doing that until somebody puts a finger there and stops it. So what I'm saying is we can turn it around. We can prevent most, if not all, of those bad eventualities from happening if we at the point of repentance, buckle down and really get back to God. And then, you know, see, David is no longer inquiring of God. God said, you don't have to do it anymore. He stops doing it. The first thing that happens is temptation, and he falls right into it because he's not inquiring of God. So if we got smart, repented, and immediately started a, a very deliberate, conscientious program of inquiring of God on a day-to-day -day basis. I won't do anything God except breathe until you give me permission or encouragement to do whatever. You would be able to turn that around because your natural tendency is to keep, keep that sin line going. Once you start it, that's the natural progression until you truly repent and come back to God. Then a whole new series of events will happen. There's still, it doesn't erase the original sin but you could greatly diminish the, the ongoing effect of it. Doesn't it say that the, the, the sins of the father will, will generate three to four generations down the road, right? But I've known families where it ends at two generations because somebody got smart and stopped the process, stopped the, 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 the slide downhill. So what I'm saying is you and I have a lot of control over our destiny, I guess. We're not helpless victims in this. So a, a sin does not need to be this bad thing over here. I sinned once, therefore my family's going to fall apart and I'm never going to get a job and all that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. You can choose to 
turn that around. But where it says, uh, the Lord said, uh, the sword will never depart from your house. He can change that. God is saying, see, this is, this is what we're going to get into in the next, next chapter or two. God is saying that. I'm not doing this to you. I just happen to know the future. <laughs> right? There's a huge difference. And again, God could stop it, but that would take away our free will, and then we'd be puppets, you know, with the puppet master on strings, and, uh, you know, so God's not going to do that. God just knows that, David. Yeah, that screw up, you're not going to get it right now for a long time, and it's going to set up a series of events. I mean, 10 years in the formative years of your child, pretty much half their life. And so if they have a really bad home example for, for the formative years, is it any wonder that there's incest, there's attempted murder, there's, there's all these things happening. Without the proper guidance and leadership, that's what's going to happen. God knew that David was going to respond that way and just be the bump on the log on the throne rather than... You know, picking himself up by his bootstraps and saying, okay, I sinned. All right, God forgives me. Yay! And now I'm going to move on. God forgets it. I'm going to try and do everything I can to correct what I did wrong. Now that brings up a question I've been really puzzled about. Yeah, yeah. Why did God tell, have Nathan tell David that he didn't need to go to God anymore? I don't understand that. Unless you wanted to give an example to us, perhaps. It's, it says several times that God will test us. Uh-huh. Kind of think that was a test. Okay. Like I said, you know, if, if if my wife said, "You never have to tell me you love me again," I think I'd want to do it more. Uh, definitely, if my wife said, "You're allowed to have a a, a girlfriend a week," uh, I would say no. Um, you know, I have I have permission, but I'm not I, not not one. <laughs> Right. Well, much the same as Adam and Eve. Yeah. I mean, same setup. Yeah. Right. God knew that. Yeah. All that was going to happen. Original sin was going to come. But it. it it's, when I say God knows, God knows everything from the beginning of creation to the end, and how all that just intertwines. We don't. We can only know right here, right now. That's it. But God knows the whole picture. So He knows. 4,000 years ago, how that is going to affect us today. God knew that as David was going through this, what a good example that would be for you and I today. That's why he allows that to happen. It looks bad at the time. It looks disastrous. It looks like the worst thing ever. But the, the long-term benefit greatly outweighs that ind- individual difficulty. Because if God stopped that from happening, much the same as original sin, so if original sin didn't happen... We'd still be in the Garden of Eden. We never would have needed Jesus, right? So the whole plan is set. God, God's not making this up on a day-to-day basis, just staying one day ahead of us. You know, because when I screw up, God says, okay, well, tomorrow I've got to do something to make up for that screwball did today. You know, and he's not, he's, it's all set. It's God. God who is, you know, the, the, the big alls. You know, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Right? God knows these things. He, he, he understands it. And God is always present. Omnipresent. You know, Latin is omni, all. All strength. All-knowing. All-powerful. 
Now all is all. It's not 99%, it's all. You and I are very limited in our strength, in our knowledge, and in our ability to be present. I'm here. I'm not home, I'm not at the hospital, I'm here. I can only be one place at one time. God is everywhere all at the same time. It'll blow your mind. Because God can do what we cannot. So, I think all this is teaching us is, let's let God do that. <laughs> let God be God. Stop trying to put God in a box and, and constrain him by our feeble understanding of things. Let, let us try to understand how great God is and, and how merciful he is, how, how loving he is, how magnanimous he is, and all those wonderful characteristics. And yeah, even though that other person deserved it, that man deserves death, David says. Yeah! But look what God does. Sin always gets us into good conversations, doesn't us? I have something. Please. Unforgive our unforgiveness is like us drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> the other thing is with the fella that grabbed the hold of the ark. We know that he died and don't know what his future was with God. I believe God because we don't know what happens at that time and we don't know God's mercy it would say to me that God might have been merciful to him and accepted him in his, his death was an example that you, that you obey my laws but he, he didn't do that out of, out of will he did it out of response and so I think, I think the conditions of his death might, might have warranted some mercy and so maybe Maybe he still is with God. Oh, I believe that too. I believe that too. He just made an yeah. example, but I'd have done the same thing. I, I know I would have, you know. Yeah. And you would have wound up in the Bible. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, well you know, I'd say, hey, there you go. There you go. The other S thing St. Reagan. Oh, well, I don't know. Please. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'd have done the same thing. Her head's already big enough, huh? Yeah, you do things with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Pastor Jeff said God doesn't need our help. That's why. You know, right. and I understand that, but it's like, wow, that was pretty harsh. But then he probably is up there. <clears throat> I, I'm sure he is. Yeah. 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 The other thing is, I am humbled when I go to God and confess my sins, because some of my sins certainly did deserve the axe. Yeah. But he said, "No, I forgive you. Go and sin no more." And so that <coughs> humbles me to the point where it breaks me. <clears throat> And ultimately makes you really not want to do that again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, out, out of love and respect for God, not the, 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 the punitive nature of God, but just out of love and respect, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I don't want to irritate God anymore. You know, that's, that's what this is all about. And that's what we see David struggling with now. Can I say something? You may. <laughs> Years ago, we were robbed in our house, I mean, it just fell out. I, I didn't, know, I knew Avi, but he was, came in the house, we weren't home, went through all the kids' banks and drawers and my underwear drawer and everything and took, uh, I mean, you know, whatever he wanted, took it in a pillowcase, took it home. And, and we found out who it was. I was beyond furious. I, I, I'm not a person ever really gets angry. Did that time, Noah. I've never been in my life before or since. But I knew I had to forgive him. So 
so I tried to force myself. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. I forgive. But every time I think of it, I just be angry. So I, I was still had this sin of anger, even though I kept telling God, you know, I do forgive and I want to, I I want I want to, I want to. So all these years, every time I think of it, it just makes me feel angry. So one time when I first started coming in, you spoke on forgiveness. I thought, I'm not sure if I've really forgiven him, and I want to, Lord. I really want to forgive him. I want to quit being angry when I think about it. So I repented of my anger and wrote him a letter. And I just said, I was beyond angry when you robbed us, but I want you to know I've forgiven you. And I and I made it to him because I'd never heard anything. I I don't even know if I would know him if I saw him again. I'm not. I knew what town he was. I thought he was still living. So I I mean I I didn't ever hear anything. Uh, back or anything, but I felt better, and I felt well. I repented of my anger. I have forgiven. I've written it down, and you know God has written it down. Confess your sins. So he wrote it down. I wrote it down. I felt better. I feel like I've forgiven him. You see how therapeutic it is. Like I say, yeah, whether whether he accepts it or not, yeah. or responds is inconsequential, really, in right. the great grand scheme. And that's between him and God. Yeah. Exactly. Not even so much between him and you. It's between him and God. So, yeah, that's, that's absolutely the secret. And you really don't ever learn that until you go through a really crisis event like this. Right. But, yeah, you know, how long do you think you, you, you struggle with that? Weeks? Months? Years. Years? Years. What any fun was it? No. Right. I even wrote to the judge of Bedford County and said, when this kid stands before you, I want you to really put him away for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and the judge wrote back, said, I know. It'd been really nice if he did reach out to you, though, and I mean, you actually could have yeah. worked yeah, through I that. Yeah, but that's that's what the Bible describes as peace. See, you're 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 at peace with that. Yeah, yeah because I, I think we talked some time ago about that. Because yeah, we want to control. See, you, you want to control over his life. You did this to me, now I want to control you. That's, that's where the anger is. That's, that's the, the, the core of that. And anger turns to frustration because I can't. <laughs> so all I can do is really be mad at you. I can control you with my anger. Well, how's that? Really? <laughs> do you think he knows or even cares in prison whether we are angry at him? No. So that's why the advice is just let it go. Give it to God and let it go. Right, because it, it does us no good at all. It it just it, it clouds our vision. It, it corrupts us, and it's it's really you know a, a scheme of the devil to keep us in that anger, because you see a, anger. Then uh, I think that's one of those multifaceted you know one of the seven deadly sins is uh, because you know it, it it leads leads to an arrogance on our part, a self righteousness on our part. Uh, just all kinds of bad stuff will ensue from that one one anger event and it just again the ripple effect is just huge and it, it, it will in fact infect every other relationship you have so you, the only way to do it is to, is to let it go good thinking about what Reagan said a while ago in your answer that 
the, the sin does follow through. You're forgiven of that sin, but the consequences still happen. They very often do still happen. Sure. I mean, if you've been put in prison for something, that's a consequence, even though you've been forgiven of that sin. And the consequence so, is that coming out of prison, then it'll be tough to get a job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah there's very a, often it yeah. does follow through. And the other thing I think that I find helpful is when I pray for forgiveness, I also ask that God take the memory from me. Help me erase yep. what I've done from my mind that I don't keep pulling it back up because I'm pretty good at pulling it back up, right. whatever it is. Oh, I've never done that. Haven't you? Oh, maybe write, I need to do write that. Write that oh, down. Crap. No, no, exactly, because again, that, that is the scheme of the devil sure. to keep us guilty. Under, yeah. Guilt is self-incrimination, but when God says you're forgiven and you're free, He remembers what? it no more. Right. That's what it says. See, right. yeah, so 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 no guilt more. is the opposite of accepting forgiveness. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. Now that's can you do that perfectly? Probably not. But Probably you can not. you you can get certainly get to a point that it doesn't come into your mind that often and therefore infect everything else. So you don't keep going back every day and asking God for forgiveness again. It's a little bit like this thing of laying it at the foot of the cross. We do. We put lots of things there and then pick them up. Yep, yep. Because so <laughs> exactly God's not doing a good enough job with it. That's right. See, it comes back to that control issue, right? See, we're all control freaks, yeah. right? And, and we, we have a hard time relinquishing our control and letting God be in control. But it, it comes back to the beginning of Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is humility. It's a simple admission that, God, you're, you're a lot smarter than I am. I need to follow your lead rather than expect you to follow mine. You know, I've been taught all my life, I mean, like Jesus, sin is sin no matter what. Mm -hmm. But it's really confusing to me to figure out how the sin of murder can compare to, like, the sin of somebody lying. How can that all be equal? It just, it's very confusing. It's equal in, in the effect it has on us. Both, okay. both sins, you're either going to be, Jesus says you're either for me or against me. You're either going to be with God or you're against God. So the little sin separates you from God just the same as the big sin does. Just the separation from God. That makes more sense. So it's the personal. Right. It's so personal. both are a rejection of God. Okay. The degree to which that happens is inconsequential because the effect on us is still the same. We, we choose to separate ourselves. Well, usually... When, when I'll just say about my granddaughter, you know, she, I've had a very difficult time with her. And when I just keep thinking that I've had enough, I think, oh my gosh, how many times has God forgiven me? You know what I mean? Yep, it'll humble you. And, yep. I, and, I, and I just keep thinking, you know, I can do this war as long as I win this battle, but <laughs> sometimes it doesn't seem like there's never give me, any give me, a, give me a little glimmer of hope here, huh? Yeah, yeah. and and, oh, I, here you. And, and and when I get angry and say I've had enough, and then I go back and I sit and I don't even pray, but I just sit there in silence, I keep thinking, huh? How many times have I disappointed him? How many times has he forgiven me? Then I get soft, and I hate that. You you swing too hard the other way. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I mean, no, I still make him accountable, but then I want to, it's like I don't want to give up. I don't, because God's never given up on me, you know? Yep, yep. So that that's that, that's where I struggle a lot. That, that's where I say, you know, you don't want to enable, <coughs> but you don't want to, you know, you, you've got to draw the line for your own sanity at some point. That's a real fine line. It is a very fine line, and it's very hard. When you figure that out, 
There's well, your, that, there's your well, first, I don't first know. million selling book. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> I will buy that copy. Along with book or spots, huh? There it is. So when we're talking about sin, now what, look at verse 9. Look what happens in verse 9. Something amazing. I think this is to Linda's point. The sin, the obvious sin, was murder and adultery. But the sin noted by God is that David despised the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes. See the generalization of that, Linda? Yes. Right? So it's not, this sin was so bad that it's on my radar. It was a simple rejection of God. He chose to do that which is evil, which, which I, God, have defined as evil. General. So to the degree to which that happened is, is inconsequential. So he broke multiple commandments just by doing that. Precisely. So rather than specify them, because again, you know, those two in particular are very tentacled yeah. and reach out in, 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 in wide ways. So we can't name all of them. So we're just going to put it under the, the, the rubrics of you've just broken, broken my law. You, you've broken what, what I have established as the way we, we are to act. But it's, it's despised the word of the Lord. So it doesn't even specify law at that point. Right? I have spoken my word to you. This is how I expect you to live. You have broken that. Now, if you've ever raised a child, you probably know what that feels like. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You see how the, you know, the relationship, you know, God is our Heavenly Father, we are His children, so that relationship is much the same as we as parents with our children. That's how it goes. So, but we need to learn from that. This is how God works, therefore this is how I need to, to parent. This is how I need to interact with you know, the generations below, below me. So, the word of the Lord included adultery and murder, Right? But we don't have to specify that. And besides all that, besides going against the word of the Lord, God declares that he's already given David everything. And if David wanted more, God would have gladly given it to him. So again, that's yeah, that parent-child relationship. You know, can you see a, a parent? Have you ever had that conversation with your kid? Look, look at everything I've given to you, and this, this is how you treat me? Right? It, it hurts to the core of our being. But we'll only destroy the relationship if we as the parent allow it to destroy the relationship. If we say, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. I will never speak to you again. Get out of my house. Right? So it's, it's all about the negotiation and setting up the boundaries of this relationship. And David has definitely crossed the line at that point. Verse 10, God decrees it because David took it upon himself to use the sword of the Amorites to kill Uriah. See what he did there? Then that's where the statement comes in, the sword will never depart from your home. God is declaring that David has begun a series of calamities that will continue for the rest of his life. So this punishment, if you will, does match the crime. David chose violence, therefore violence will remain as part of his life. Now, the violence continues because of the void David leaves in parenting. 
He allows the kids to do whatever they want. There's, there's no discipline with the kids. Is it any wonder then children become violent without the boundaries? So we'll see that unfold certainly by the next chapter. Now verse 13, notice that as mad as God is, he reassures David that he will not die as a result of this sin. This is not like Saul. Saul who had a consistent history of choosing to sin. Resulting in God finally saying, that's it. But remember, Saul lived for 40 years after God backed off. So it's not like, sin sin once, I'm going to kill you. See? Big, big picture. God's got time. So David, you're not going to die. But showing his true character again, David simply admits his sin. David doesn't attempt to dodge or shift the blame like Saul always did. It's always somebody else's fault. But now we realize the even greater depth of David's character. Because as king, kings don't have to admit anything. So a humble king, it doesn't get any better than that. Kings are kings and they don't have to answer to anybody. And again, why David is the exemplary king is because he's doing things like this. Because ultimately, we've seen it before, and I think we're seeing it here, David realizes that he is just the guy sitting on the throne. God is really the king of this nation. And he simply wants to be the agent by which this king operates. So if David had been any other king, he would have killed Nathan. So what we see here is true repentance, which is way different than what we ever saw with Saul. And so now with true repentance, notice God's response. Immediate forgiveness. And it goes back to Jim's point. I mean, it just, I mean, that's overwhelming. So it's not like, okay, I'm thinking about forgiving you. If you're extra special good for the next year, I'll be willing to forgive you then. <laughs> right? That's, see, that's not how God works. He, our immediate repentance results in immediate forgiveness. There's no contingencies. There's no do this and then I'll forgive you. It's immediate forgiveness. Even though the law dictated that the penalty for David's sin was death, God instead shows mercy. I think what Reagan was saying, good thing, because otherwise <laughs> we'd be all under the bus. Now, God's mercy begs the question. The law of God is the law of God. There can be nothing higher. But apparently there is. <laughs> Yeah, why does God forgive David and not follow his own law of judgment? Might be one of the most important questions I'll ever ask you. 
Say that again one more time. Why does God bypass his law and instead offer mercy? Because he truly repented. Okay. We don't live by the law. We live by grace and mercy. Amen. Well, they had the law back then, though. Right? But so, what law was that? Wasn't that man-made law? I mean, the Ten Commandments don't actually say, if you murder, if you do this, you're going to be killed. Well, God, God issued another couple dozen laws. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Levitical law and you know, okay. a couple okay. of Deuteronomy and all that. Yeah. So he, right. he, kept, he kept the ball rolling. All right. So, yeah, there was... There's one chapter, Leviticus somewhere, a comical law chapter, all about sex. Do this, do this kind of sex, you die. <laughs> do this kind of sex, I mean, just oh, cha- I mean, it's ridiculous. So yeah, there's a whole, yeah. God kept issuing, yeah, don't do that, don't do that, yeah, because um, I mean, there's God Himself says, you know, if your kid does this, take him out and stone him, kill your own kid. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, so, yeah, there's just all kinds of you know, real hard nut laws like that. So, but that's what God says. If you do this, this is what I will do. In other words, I'm not going to change my mind. Except, apparently, when there's repentance. Which then bypasses the law. So the judgment, the punishment, the penalty is renegotiated. Well, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, this is a couple thousand years before, or a good thousand, three thousand, something. Isn't Yeah, Jesus, this is Old Testament, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Jesus did not die on the cross yet, so yes, he this wasn't... Is, this is operating under the, the Old Testament law, yes. Right, so being Jesus, Jesus wasn't there and died for our sin yet, so God can do whatever he wants because he's God. Yes, but the law is the law. But he's God. Right. (laughs) So even when there is law, and we do that in our own court system. Don't don't the 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 convicted say I throw myself on the mercy of the court? Right. In other words, yeah, I know I deserve this, but I would like a light lighter sentence. If you can see it in your your mercy to give, give me that. I would, I would really appreciate that. Well, that's um, the thing. He, God is merciful. Even though he made the law, he's merciful. Okay. So what we're saying is, you want to write this down, is that mercy trumps law. That's what God does. So now let's make that personal. If that's the way God was, is, and will be, and we are created in God's image, which means we can choose to act like God, should we, in fact, allow ourselves to have mercy trumping our judgment of others? Oh, absolutely. And again, the measure by which we judge others is the measure by which God will judge us. So if we're all self-righteous and high and mighty, and when people hurt us, then this is my, my decree against you. Kind of like the parable Jesus tells with the, uh, uh, the, uh, the servant that uh, owed 10,000 talents. In other words, an infinite amount of money. And the king forgave that debt. And he comes across the other servant who owes him like, like you know, a buck and a half. 
And he grabs him by the throat, throws him in debtor's prison because he couldn't pay him back that day, even though that second guy said the same thing the first guy said. You know, just give me a little bit more time and I'll pay you back. Uh, no, I want it today, and throws, throws him into prison. When it finally got back to the, 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 the wasn't the king, it was the, you know, the owner, of the, uh, 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 the master of the, uh, of the servants, he calls the guy in again. You mean I forgave you all this debt and you didn't forgive others? Okay. We'll change things up. I forgave you. I take that back. <laughs> right? So God can kind of change things up. He said, now you get the punishment. I'm going to release that guy out of, out of debtor's prison. You will go into debtor's prison until you, you pay back an infinite debt. In other words, you will never get out. So the way we treat others is the way God will treat us. In other words, if we are merciful to others, now again, not, not excusing sin, not turning a blind eye to sin, not you know, you know, condoning sin, supporting sin, uh, no, absolutely don't do that. But nonetheless, being merciful and forgiving and trying to continue to work with that person. Then God will continue to show us mercy and work with us. But as soon as we're all high and mighty, we get on our high horse and That's when, that's when God says no. It's the only reason teenagers get to become adults, isn't it? If we're merciful. Because we're merciful. <laughs> I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> yep. Yep, 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 yep. Temper goes, I just walked in. <laughs> We've been waiting all day for, for, for you to come in so we can say that. <laughs> all right, one last thought. Now again, the, the beauty of... The Old Testament, and especially what we're studying right now in Samuel, is to reveal the nature of God. So God is more merciful than he is judgmental. Doesn't mean he's not judgmental. Just means, given the choice, if we give God a reason to issue mercy to us, he will. He will side on the side of mercy. From Exodus 34, quote, God is slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God identifies himself. This is who I am. Just to make sure there's no question. Because if I don't tell you, you're going to think I'm this big judgmental guy with, with lightning bolts and I'm just waiting to throw at you. Instead, I am slow to anger. I'm not going to say amen to that? Amen. <laughs> right? This God is abounding in love and faithfulness. This God is forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Exodus. Exodus 34. I don't have the, the verse, but it's in there. But this is this is God after the golden calf. That kind of missed me a little bit. You know, after everything I've, I've done for you, right? Same situation. I've given you everything. And this is how you treat me? But God will forgive if our hearts. Now, those people weren't. But Joshua leads the next generation. And boy, their next generation is probably the best Jewish generation that ever lived. They were awesome. All right, we'll pick it up in verse 14 because that's a big one. And we don't have time to cover that now.